Welcome to Coping with COVID-19. This editorially independent program from the editors of Modern Aesthetics Magazine and Practical Dermatology Magazine is made possible with advertising from Care Credit. This is part two of episode nine. Drs. McCreen Alexiades, Jeffrey Dover, Roy Geronimus, David McDaniel, and E. Victor Ross discuss how they're preparing for when they can restart clinical trials and share ideas for what new protocols and changes will be in place. What do you think? What are you doing now to plan for the future? Because optimistic or not, America is going to continue and the economy will survive at some point in some shape or form. But what are you planning to be ready for when that happens? Well, I'm glad you see me as an optimist. That makes me happy. Um, I am in the minority. We had a wonderful, uh, you had a wonderful uh, video conference last week uh, with, our, with many of our colleagues. And I was surprised um, that I'm in the minority of dermatologists oh. who has not laid off staff or reduced uh, salaries as of yet. Uh, the SBA loan turned out to be just a wash because it's run out of money. So many people, I didn't make the list or, or whatnot. So that I could say is my optimism that we will be back and that my retaining my staff will come back to bless me in the future. But it's no question the how of getting started again is a puzzle for which we have very few answers. I think it will be a gradual graded re-entry and we will have to take great precautions so we will not be seeing the volume we once saw. It'll be few patients, maybe more procedures per patient. We're gonna have to work together to figure out what to do when we're accessing the face because obviously they can't wear a mask during that time, but I've investigated face shields. I've been working with our colleagues in the medical device industry. I was tapped uh, because of my connections to FEMA, the White House, and a lot of the university hospitals to help bridge the gap with some of our European manufacturers for PPE. So I have a lot of knowledge about PPE and how we will need full gear that was touched on uh, last week, but that's gonna be pertinent for research as well. So I think the challenge is gonna be when we re-enter, having the testing for rapid testing, then having the proper PPE for us, and then what to do when we have to remove the PPE on the subject or the patient. The other is reimbursement. What we haven't talked about yet is how are we going to be reimbursed if everything is digital and we're doing redacted visits? I've posed this question to our sponsors already ahead of this call, and the answer was, as you can imagine, that they are committed to our being reimbursed, but please talk to your local person. In other words, they wouldn't commit to the fact that in fact we may be getting reimbursed less because we are accomplishing less of the checklist for each of these visits because it's not in person. So I think that's gonna be a big deal for us going forward with our existing studies and future studies to build into these contracts that we get reimbursed at a, at a rate that makes sense for us to uh, move forward in the time of COVID. Green, thanks. I think I would add that uh, Someone as skilled and efficient as you should be rewarded for your efficiency. And I use the example of someone who, say, is doing consulting. There's the consultant who takes a day to do what it takes you an hour. Should they be paid eight times as much for eight hours of their slow work, then you 
make or charge for your one hour of incisive work or Roy's highly efficient work. I want someone on my team like Roy or you, for example, I get the answer I need and desire and I move forward. So I think when we negotiate these contracts, it's what we get done in that visit, whether it's in person or digital, it doesn't matter. It's the expertise you bring to those visits. So I would beseech my colleagues on this uh, conference to think about that as they plan forward. Roy, are you there? Yes, I am. Excellent. What do you think? What are you planning going forward? I know you're a future thinker and I know you're well, thinking, well, what am I going to do next fall when the companies contact me? Are you ready? Is your staff ready to start new trials? Uh, yes, we are ready. Uh, I think we're going to have to look at social distancing within the office. Uh, fortunately for us, we have a very, we have a large office with uh, several floors so we can space people out and that would be helpful. Uh, but with that said, I, I agree that, you know, the volume that one is typically seeing in a dermatology practice will have to be limited, at least for the time being, until we have a vaccine or a level of immunity which allows us to change our behaviors back to what we had before. So I think there will be some changes. Uh, but in terms of, you were talking about the economic impact of these trials and, and the, the COVID epidemic, pandemic, uh, one of the issues that we're facing now is that we are missing uh, post-treatment visits, uh, which is part of our budget. So there is an economic impact uh, to our clinical trials by not being able to uh, follow through the way we have with many of these patients. Roy, absolutely. Yeah. On top of which, trials that we're about to start this month or next are not starting. So the entire budget, other than the preparatory costs, which are considered somehow yes and, and we have we have fixed costs with our with our research program we have dedicated space we've dedicated absolutely and you've got trials that are not yeah. going to start because so of this um yeah, uh, quite a few frankly and that's what the one of the situations we're in vic what about you what do you think about how are we going to plan to get rolling again uh, i think it's very clear from what roy and mccreen said it's going to be a slow rollout much slower than the way we stopped abruptly literally overnight, this is gonna take months, perhaps a few years to ramp back up. No, I agree, it's gonna it's going to take a while. And I, a lot of what we do is, whether research or not, is gonna be mandated by our institution. And institution rules are gonna come from our governor, so it's gonna be kind of a trickle down thing. I, they're, I think the big institutions are more worried about liability too, about anybody who might contend they had an infection contracted here. So it's mm -hmm. gonna make us particularly vulnerable, I think, and we're gonna to have to go even slower I don't want to have tape on our waiting area like the supermarkets do, spacing people out. I mean, we may, you know, I hate to have us like have blue tape on the waiting areas, spacing people out. Maybe that's where we're going to go, but it's going to be a slow reintegration, I think. And I, my, my big fear is that also some institutions may have a mandate, whether it's real or not, or whether it's logical or not, to, to, to disallow any cosmetic work just because it sounds less noble. And that, that's one of the fears I have as an institutional person. If somebody said, well, will allow you to treat warts, but no Botox, because we're not ready to assume that risk. My, my wife thinks I'm crazy worrying about that, but I don't think I'm that crazy. And, and clinical trials, the same, if it's a cosmetic clinical trial, where, where it's a sponsored trial by a cosmetic laser company, or the IRBs, not, I mean, our IRBs intertwine with our clinical research services, and they kind of control everything, where they're going to be less inclined to approve those things, more scrutiny, et cetera. That's true. 
It's interesting you bring that up, Vic. I'd be interested in McQueen or Roy. What do you think of that, that fear? Vic's in a slightly dis different situation than the three of us, where he's in a bigger institution where they dictate policy. What do you think? Well, I don't know if you saw the article in the New York Times a few days ago, uh, where they were pretty much uh, castigating a dermatology group out in California that has remained open through this whole process and was offering a variety of services across the board. So I think there is some social awareness uh, of what is being done and, and by whom. But with, this, uh, with that said, I, I don't believe this can go on forever. And I think ultimately we do have to accommodate our cosmetic patients as well. So I view this as a temporary uh, deviation of the norm. And uh, I, I remain optimistic that we'll get back to at least some semblance you know, within a few months. But I don't see this as a long-term issue. Well, Roy, I think you're right. Uh, the reason the four of you were chosen for this call is because of your leadership skills and the way you you walk the walk and talk the talk and actually show ethical and moral leadership at the highest level. And I, I, I appreciate Vic's sentiments, but I agree with his wife that in the end, uh, it will be up to our patients to dictate and determine policy because after all, elected officials are elected by the populace and they're going to request and or demand access to their dermatologist for whatever the two of them decide in confidence is what they need to do. But it's up, if your institution is sticky, uh, that will be a fight for you to do, uh, I think, regionally. But I don't think justifying what you do for a living is, is, is what counts. It's how well you do it and the level at which you do it. And I think we have to hold our heads high, but also practice at the highest ethical and moral levels. On another note, I'll tell you what we're doing is um, we have all kinds of ideas that have not yet been studied. So we're writing investigator-initiated protocols now. We're in the midst of three ideas that I have that we've never studied. So we're actually writing the protocols as we speak, and we will, we're with companies and looking for study funding, which we're getting, but it's down the road. So these trials won't start till next fall or maybe even 2021 but we're taking advantage of the free time we have to exercise these ideas we've thought of. And I know that's what I'd recommend to colleagues uh, around the country is that if you do have trial uh, centers or you like to do trials, it's the investigator initiated ones, which to me are the most fascinating because those are the answers to questions that we really want. So that's one thing I would share with you. In closing, let's just go around the table and ask for some final thoughts. We'll start with Roy. Any final thoughts to leave with our colleagues? Uh, yes, uh, you know, I think we covered quite a few areas. I think one that there, this is having an impact, there's no question, uh, both in terms of getting the studies done and, and financially for those of us who are covering the costs and have overhead to pay. Uh, and secondly, I think we realized that uh, there will be changes going forward in how clinical trials are run. I think we will be seeing more of uh, the, the a digital approach, uh, which we've done already, as you've mentioned, uh, in our own practices. Uh, and thirdly, I, I, I remain optimistic that we'll get back up, up and running uh, with some changes. Uh, so we're in compliance with uh, the various different state rules and regulations. So again, I don't view this as a long-term problem. Uh, we'll just have to modify over the short term and then move forward uh, in a positive way. Vic, how about you? We're going to get back into action. And I, 
I think the big emphasis will be on digital, less travel, saving money, but uh, we'll get back into action as soon as we can. I'm just hopeful that uh, people will be logical about it. That's my, that's my big fear is that logic will prevail and it, it won't be rules and regulations that are to appease a perception. That's my big fear in, in general, but hopefully wiser heads will prevail. I share the optimism uh, mid to longer term. I think that there's still a necessity for the studies. I think there'll be confusion early on. I do think we'll return to a new normal that won't resemble what we've had, but you know, most of what's happening now we don't control, but this is a call with leaders. And it, when there are changes, even bad things like what we're seeing, there's, there's an opportunity for good. And I think we have the opportunity especially and as the people in this and industry to do partnership to lead the change um, so that we can improve the things we have decades of experience but i think there's a leadership opportunity to bring positive change out of a lot of unfavorable circumstances uh, but it, in the short term it's going to be confusing david i appreciate your thoughts mccreen let's finish with you yeah, I agree. I think that every obstacle brings good. And I think this obstacle will modernize clinical trials, the way they are run, so that we do hopefully completely paperless and many remote visits when possible. And I think this will cut costs. And as you pointed out, uh, on-site monitoring could then be obsolete. Uh, to diminish uh, contraction of disease that way. And also those meetings that they're holding uh, with study investigators can also be done remotely. So I think that the silver lining from this are the modernizations that will be happening at a rapid rate because necessity is the mother of invention. I think in terms of the reopening, one thing we didn't touch on is the optics. And the optics are very important. I think Roy mentioned it, but it's, it, it's worth reiterating. There is reality about reentry, and then there's the optics of us uh, conducting aesthetic trials in a time of reentry. So we will look to this graded uh, opening of business, but we'll also have to acknowledge that there is an inherent goodness to aesthetics and to beauty that it brings joy and it has a place just like music. If you're going to reopen the Philharmonic, you can reopen an aesthetic practice or clinical trial. So I don't want to feel embarrassed by what we do. I think it is important. It is not an essential component of medicine, but I think there will come a point where non-essential medical uh, practice will also be opening. And I'm looking forward to putting in place the proper measures to protect us and the patients, not just this year, this summer, but presu presuming that it's a vaccine that may not be wholly protective, we're going to need to continually have uh, readiness protocols in place in all of our practices. So that's another good thing that will come from this. McCree, thank you. Uh, to simply add to what you said so eloquently, that while aesthetic medicine is not an essential part of medicine, it is an essential part of life because of what you described. It brings happiness and joy. People who look better feel better and are, are better at what they do. So. I think we have a positive future, but we're going to have a bit of a rocky road on the way there. I want to thank our panelists. I can't imagine four people better skilled or more knowledgeable on this topic. So thank you all very much, and I hope you enjoyed this webinar. Thank you. Thank you.